Friday on the Horn. Appreciate you being there, however you're finding us. 1019 AM 1260. That Horn app is cooking. Digital numbers through the roof. Thank you so much. Continue to grow that and uh, spread the word to your friends because this is Austin's only local morning sports conversation. Certainly it's best, we believe. So five hours every day, five days a week. And Rod, if it's a Friday on Ian Rod B, that makes it a what Friday? Freak flag. Feel good. Fake it till you make it. Ric Flair. Football Friday edition of Ian Rodby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get Ric Flair. We'll get you going. If you need to pick your spirits up a little bit, you're feeling like you're a little lethargic, our Ric Flair will we'll get you going. Promise you. Time may need that. He was playing blackjack late last night. Yeah. Get, get Ric Flair, Woo. He's, at least he's took it, he took his hood off. Where were you first playing? First game, he, his, he had his hood he on. He was hoodie for the first he was, hour. <laughs> yeah, he's like. Where were you losing at blackjack? I was literally walking out of Deep Eddie, and <laughs> one of my buddies was like, you want to play a hand of blackjack for $100? And that turned out. You couldn't in. say no. He was walking. Wow. I like how you put the detail. I was walking out. I, I was almost out. I was. I was. I was literally dragged out. me back in. What time was that? What was the, ti- what's the time difference in hours between when you were walking out and then when you actually ended up leaving after playing blackjack? I was trying to walk out at probably 12.30, and I walked out at oh. 1.30. Oh, that's not that bad. Should have walked out at 11.30. That's not that 11:30. bad. 11.30. I but was considering you get 9:30. up at like 4 in the morning, that, I don't know how I'm you... Not, I'm not hung over or anything. I'm just tired. You're just young, man. Yeah. To be young again. Yeah, like, if I did that, I'd be, I'd be a wreck though. right now. <laughs> I powered through. I mean, yeah. I got my second win. Oh, it's I, amazing what you young guys can do, man. It's amazing what the young... the what the what how, how you recover when you're young, period, with anything. I was uh, in, crawled into bed before like 9.30 last night. I was trying to. I, I, I got in before 10. Yeah, Friday, by the end of the week, pretty run down. But at the same time, then I woke up at like 11.30 and felt like I'd been asleep for five hours, like the whole night. I was like, oh, gosh, it's only 11.30. Wow. So you hit your rim quick. I'm not, I am not. I don't hit my rim for a while, so that's why usually me just being in the bed doesn't do any good. <laughs> uh, just, all right, the National Fajita Day conversation has spilled over into hour, hour three. Lupe Tortilla, beef, no doubt. It says you Houston boys should know Papacitos has the Papacitos. best fajitas. Yeah, the Papas family. They do some good fajitas, that's for sure. Uh, also, Rod, love you, but shrimp fajitas, not a thing. Lupe Tortilla, come on, man. Go to the hood, East Austin. <laughs> East Austin. Come on, man. East Austin for real fajitas. <laughs> and Rod, Rod, you had another uh, that's funny. bullish or BS that uh, we ran out of time for. What do you got there? Uh, okay, oh, yeah. So uh, this is something I, I brought up yesterday that I wanted to get to. Um, because in Baltimore right now, there's a lot of buzz about the new offense that Lamar Jackson is in. Ooh. And Todd Munkin has gone out of his way to say the offense is Lamar Jackson's offense. We're giving him the ability to audible. He can change any play at the line of scrimmage, which he has never had the ability to do at, at the NFL level. And he's also said that uh, Lamar Jackson is taking more ownership of the offense. Here is Jamison Hensley. He is an insider that covers the Ravens. Um, He went on Scott Van Pelt. He talks about the new offense, how everybody's excited, but there's a detail he gives at the end of this this, uh, report that I thought was pretty shocking. Here is uh, Jamison Hensley. Zeitler kind of summed up this new offense the best in saying that the Ravens are going to attack, attack, and then attack some more. I mean, Baltimore wants to go up-tempo. They want to do a lot more no-huddle. The Ravens want to get up to the line of scrimmage, 
as quickly as possible because they want Lamar Jackson to be able to audible at the line of scrimmage, which he has rarely done in the past. Jackson said, Munkin has given me the keys to this offense. And now the other wrinkle to all of this is that Jackson is having even more input in the offense. I asked him at today's practice about him getting more input, and he said he was looking at social media, and he saw some routes that he really liked. So he sent them to his quarterback coach, who then forwarded to Munkin. And Munkin then put them in the playbook. Jackson said, man, I'm glad he's listening to me. So, so your, your tweets. All right, there, there you go. go. There you go. So there you go. bullish or BS on Lamar Jackson taking routes from social media that he's seeing on Twitter or and on, on the gram game. or TikTok you know, or the bad game. game. And then just sending them to his coach and be like, coach, I like this route combination. Let's do it. Uh, honestly, I'm bullish on it. Because if, if you don't, you don't have to run the place. But it gives your quarterback, all right, it gives them the confidence to come to you, and it gives them the it, – it, it makes them believe that they have true ownership of the offense and that they actually can contribute to the, the play calling and to the play designs of the offense. Do you have to actually call those plays? No, you don't. But it's almost like when we talked about how teams are allowing their NFL quarterbacks to at least have input on the draft. Do they actually draft the guys like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who <laughs> Pat Mahomes suggested they draft? Do they draft those guys? Not necessarily, but giving, have, giving the quarterback some input on that, which Dak has too, I think it, it empowers the quarterback position, and that's what you really want to do. Agreed. So I'm but I, will, I will go BS because I'm BS on Todd Munkin. I'm going to say this. I've seen him as really? an, I've seen him as an NFL offensive coordinator at the 2018 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, whose offense was terrible. Terrible. They they set a record. They were like top ten all Five time. And Eleven. There was that, the, that was the record, but that was the offense. The offense actually set a record in terms of the it was one of the all time greatest passing offense in the history of the NFL. With who at quarterback? Was that Jameis? Was that yeah. 30, was that the 30 for 30? Yeah, dude. Touchdown it was like, yeah, the dude, in terms, of, in terms of the prolific passing game, dude, they lit up the NFL that year. Well, then he was in Cleveland. Yeah, so. Uh, Six could, and 10. You said what about that, but that offense in Tampa, that offense was lighting up the NFL. Yeah. Just throwing it out there. Okay. And the record is different than the actual offense. Okay. And, yeah, so. Well, we'll see. I'm, I'm going to, I need, because Todd Monken, they're not playing Missouri and Florida. and That's true. Tennessee. They're Very playing true. Pittsburgh and Cleveland. And Cincinnati. Cincinnati. No, I'm with you on that. I got to see it. But Very I do good. like Lamar Jackson, and I do like empowering your quarterback. I am <laughs> bullish on giving your quarterback opportunities to uh, to have a say. And I think that's going to help Dak, and, and that's one of the reasons they removed Kellen Mon, Kellen, Mon, Kellen, Kellen Moore in yeah, Dallas. You're right. Because they want you know McCarthy to work with, with Dak Moore. And we'll see if that pays dividends because it was Kellen Mon's offense, and he and Dak worked together on it. Now it's McCarthy and Dak working on the Cowboys' Texas Coast offense. Texas Coast. Coast. The Tex Coast. So, yeah, I'm not. But, you know, look, I could be wrong on Monken. I just uh, I saw him in Cleveland and it was not good. Yeah, it didn't impress you at all? No. I get it. But he's been doing this a long time, and he was had incredible success with Kirby Smart in Georgia. And maybe, you know, John Harbaugh, who's got a rock-solid foundation of a team, typically he might be the right man, you know, when you're coaching with Dirk Cutter in Tampa and then Steve oh, Wilkes that. in yeah. Cleveland. Oh, man, Dirk Cutter, that's a disaster, too. Uh, before we get to the headlines, a couple more bullish and BS for you, right? Are you bullish on either of these nicknames for our show? Show names? Give it to me. Um, are are well, these where, where these come from? Suggestions this from, is from uh, the, the fans? The fans. Okay. Uh, black and white sports talk. Uh, the morning rush. The cheap seats. 
<laughs> the cheap seats. Yeah. Or the takeaway <laughs> with Ian Rodby. The takeaway. It's not bad. I like that. I like the takeaway. Yeah. Yeah, it's not bad. The cheap seats. Uh, I'm in. I'm in. This is Texican Grill. Has great fajitas, guys. Great fajitas. Oh, also, Rod, are do. you hot or not on these two things? Taylor Swift turning down the NFL to do their Super Bowl halftime. Uh, bullish or BS? Um, yeah, I'm. I, you know what? I, I'm bullish on it. Good for her because I think the NFL makes you pay for that. Yeah, you don't get paid to do the you Super Bowl get, halftime. Yeah, you you pay for the Super Bowl halftime. She's so in the middle of the, of the most profitable tour of all time. Man, she don't need. I hate to say it, it's crazy to say that she don't need the NFL. No, like the NFL, which is the number one TV product, entertainment product in America, she don't need it because she is a brand right now that I mean, not a lot of brands that can be more profitable than hers right now. It's unbelievable. I also have another bullish or BS conversation for the yeah. off-the-record coming up. But let me get to the headlines real quick, get you caught up on the news and the latest on the Lifetime Longhorn. <laughs> Top Gun Equipment Rentals bring you the news. Yeah, we'll start with the NFL in the preseason. It kicked off last night, weekend two of the preseason. Eagles and Browns in Philadelphia. Philly quarterback Jalen Hurts. Browns started Deshaun Watson, did not play, watched in street clothes, and as did most of the starters for both teams. Scary moment, though, in the third quarter of that, or second half of that game, defensive lineman Moore Ojimo, the Lifetime Longhorn, seventh-round rookie, uh, suffered a neck injury when he collided with a teammate. Uh, had to be immobilized and taken off the field on a cart. Eagles have provided an update confirming that it was a neck injury. Uh, they don't believe it's too serious and that Ojomo has movement in all of his extremities. So fingers crossed for the lifetime Longhorn there. Big news in the NBA yesterday. The schedule is out for all 30 teams, including the Spurs. And the Spurs are coming back to Austin for two games as part of their regular season schedule. Second straight season they've done it. Uh, announced yesterday the Spurs will play the defending champion Denver Nuggets on Friday night, March 15th at the Moody Center. And then the Brooklyn Nets the next night Next night at 6. Tickets will go on sale for those uh, games coming up September 15th at 10 a.m. Uh, back to the NFL preseason. Cowboys are playing tomorrow night in Seattle. They wrapped up their three-week training camp in Oxnard, California yesterday. Uh, Texans will play the Miami Dolphins uh, tomorrow afternoon. At 3 o'clock, light night in Major League Baseball. Astros and Rangers both were off. The L.A. Dodgers did win their 11th straight game. Dodgers beat the Brew Crew last night, beat the Brewers. Brewers are now, after taking lumps from the Dodgers, are going to Arlington and face the Rangers this weekend for three games up at uh, up at Globe Life. Houston will host Seattle this weekend. Mariners are just a half game back of the Yale Wild Card race. That should be a fun series, too. And in soccer, Austin FC will return to the pitch for the first time in 23 days tomorrow night when they face St. Louis FC in St. Louis. Austin hasn't played a match since July 29th after their 0-2 performance in the League's Cup. Uh, we'll see where they go tonight. It's the fifth-place team in the Western Conference, Austin, against the first-place team in the West, the expansion St. Louis FC. Horn Headlines brought to you by Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment. Top Guns join forces with the legendary Austin Outdoor Power to give you the best lines of outdoor power equipment and the fastest repair turnaround times in town. TopGun.net will shoot you straight. So how many athletes would you pay Top dollar pro athletes in American sports. Would you pay top dollar to go see live? Let's say that again. How many pro athletes in American pro sports would you pay money to go see live? Like you got there must see. Like Messi's probably in that. Messi. He's right there for everybody. Wimby for some NBA fans. I know you know Patrick's a Spurs fan, so <laughs> Wimby's on that list for him. Is LeBron still on your list? Is the Brown on your list? Not, Not anymore. anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Too old. Too old to be on the list now. Patrick Mahomes on that list? Yes. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, Mahomes, is... Messi. Yeah, um, yeah, a lot. It's, it's not a long no, list. No, it's not a long list. That you're like, no, I got no. I actually would pay pay good money and it, it, my disposable income. It ain't a lot. Well, and as I said, Wemby uh, is for the novelty of it first off. But then you, you know, I, I saw him win right. 
I saw him at the beginning. Yes. Where people it, are projecting what Wembenyama is yep. going to be long term, and you know if he comes the next LeBron or the next you know Kareem or whatever they think of him. He's a unicorn, and so, yeah, to see a unicorn like that, gosh, it'd be like seeing Messi when he was 16 years old playing for Barcelona. Mm. And you knew he was going to be great, Yeah. and now here he is at 36 years old, and he's the greatest of all time, arguably. And uh, So, yeah, there are a few, and we'll take those from you, too, on top of National Fajita Day and your go-to fajitas, uh, as well as uh, your names for the show. you got a lot of interactive activity for us this morning. We need your help on uh, naming the show, best fajitas, and pro North American athlete you would pay to see in person. Yeah. Pay good money. Hard-earned dollars. Hard-earned dollars in person. Oh, actually, Shohei is probably at the top of the list. Shohei. And I got to do that oh, last yeah, week. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Otani. Yeah, Texas said Otani. Yep. No and doubt. He hit, and he hit one 113 miles an hour off the bat and uh, dang near put a hole in the wall. Yeah, Otani's probably – honestly, oh, I don't know if anybody's ahead of Otani. I know Messi is fun to watch. So Messi's playing – Listen, he's awesome. He's amazing. But the skill level of his competition <laughs> um, is not even close to his skill level. So you don't really get, you know, the, I don't know, y'all don't think you get your money's worth. You get to see Messi balling out of control. But you don't get your money's worth in seeing a great competition because right now Messi is just on a whole nother level. He's just in a different class altogether. With Shohei, at least Shohei is going up against like athletes. Now I say like what, athletes. What? Well, I use that term. There's nobody like him. But if he's on the mound pitching and he's also going to be at the plate, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I don't know if there's anybody no. in American on the night, sports he's the starting pitcher that's worth a, worth more in terms of the price of admission. Yeah, that gives you more bang a, for your buck. Yeah, agreed. On the night he's a starting pitcher for sure, hundred percent. Yeah. Or you know, if you want to go back to football, I mean, I would pay good money to see. A Bengals Chiefs game again when you got Mahomes you go. and Burrow. I mean, got, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'd pay just to see Mahomes against you know any team. I would, but to see him against another great quarterback like that, the Face matchup. Off. Oh yeah. man, those things are because those games are always so compelling. Well, just the Super Bowl. Josh Allen. We just watched yeah, it. Jalen Hurts versus Patrick Mahomes. Absolutely, that was Absolutely. in that conversation, no doubt. I wouldn't pay the Super Bowl tickets, and I, you know. Mm. By the way, who's the Super Bowl going to turn to now with the NFL without Taylor Swift? Who? Where are they going? That's the next question. She turned it That is a great question. That she is said, a really good out. question. She said, I'm not doing that. I always thought they would go after Drake. They nah. might go after Drake. Has he huh? passed his prime? Or no. Is he still in his prime? No, he's not passed. I don't know. Prime. I don't know the answer. He's, he's still no, in his prime. He's not still in his prime. He's still but in his because they haven't, you know, I mean, I, they, you know, they still, they went after the, obviously, the Dr. Dre. That was. Um, kind of awesome. I know. Well, you're, that's because you're, you're too young to appreciate. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I no, love no. that era of music. But I, just a bunch of old, like fifty year old. Like I said, guy. rappers. Nobody will see a rapper rapping at fifty something. It's just not attractive or aesthetically pleasing. You compare it to hanging upside uh, down. Adult entertainers. <laughs> yeah. You compared it earlier to adult entertainers and. Uh, it's like an old stripper. Like a, nobody wants to see a fifty year old stripper. God bless her if she's in great shape. But once you're forty something and you're still stripping, probably need to think about the next phase. Next Three phase Fs. Of your career. <laughs> right? Three Fs. O- only fans. Three Fs. Only fans. Sorry. What, what do we say? <laughs> yeah, floats, floats flies. flies. Um, oh, boom. Okay. Flip, Picking, flip. It Picking it up. Picking uh, it up. This is Jordan Otani Verlander. And you mm. might get to sit next to Kate Upton. Yeah, maybe. Now, I've that, done that one time. Yeah, yeah, I have done that one time. That's added value. You sit next to Kate Upton? Yep. Oh, wow. Well, right next to that's Actually, uh, this was. This is. It's on the bucket name, list. Name, name, name dropping. No, we were in, uh, in Florida for spring training. And the Astros were playing, and nice enough, the, the Reed Ryan family, Reed and Reese Ryan, were our hosts, and we were at the, in their suite. And the suite next over, which is just a railing in between, was where Kate Upton was sitting watching hmm. her, her dude 
Justin Verlier, and she mm-hmm. had her baby. They, they had just she had just had the wow. baby, and so yeah, it was it was that close with Kate Upton. Huh. There you go. Uh, that did happen. Very impressive. That did happen. You were impressed. Can I play you something, Rod? That we're gonna get behind the burn orange curtain at the bottom of the hour. The Longhorns. Let's do it. You know, we've been talking about Longhorns' best, most talented team on paper since. Cowboys' most talented team on paper and expectations as high as they are this year since. Mm-hmm. And that's been a, a good you know, conversation-generating topic that Rod threw out there. Uh, how about this with the parallels for Cowboys and Longhorns? Both have big scrimmages. The, the, the Longhorns are going to have a depth chart-defining scrimmage. Rod will take you into some of the positional battles that could be won and lost in the scrimmage tomorrow, uh, including backup quarterback and then cornerback. point. I would also say the Cowboys, you're not going to see many starters for the Cowboys on Saturday night. But the back of that roster, when you were trying to make a team, Rod, this will be big for them uh, with that 53-man mm-hmm. roster. Who's going to make it at certain spots? We'll run through some of those. But I wanted to play this for you because we were talking about the. there have been several people suggest the last time the Cowboys had this high of expectations and were this good in, in, all, in all phases, but on paper, was 95. 95. Now, 2014 was a strong team. That was, that was six or seven. The Des, that, did he catch it? That was the, the yeah, Des DeMarco catch. Murray, Des Bryant, Romo, Witten. I mean, that was a really good team. Zach Martin was a rookie. They were loaded. And that team got beat at Green Bay mm-hmm. in a heartbreaker. But somebody, some people said 95. Can I play this for you? I love this. It's from NFL Films. They did the series. on. It's on Troy Aikman. But this is pretty good, talking about because I, why I made the promise that I would walk to Dallas. <laughs> If Jerry Jones ever won a Super Bowl as a general manager in 1999. 24-year-old hot take that's still hot. <laughs> well, because Jerry, because not, not only did Jim, as I said, I hated Bud Adams, and I liked Jerry Jones as an owner until he did the Jerry, the Jimmy Johnson thing and mm-hmm. let his ego get in the way and then decided he could run it. And maybe the worst thing that happened was that Barry Switzer won a Super Bowl. And that that showed Jerry that, hey, I still got it. I don't have to, I don't need Jimmy. I can do this thing. Barry Switzer won a Super yep. Bowl. But this is from NFL Films. This is pretty mm. good, Rod. Uh, Troy Aikman's uh, disagreements with Barry Switzer's leadership style versus Jimmy. This was good. This is pretty good stuff, and it takes you back to the mid-'90s, even before Ty Henderson, our producer, (laughs) was born. Barry Switzer had won a title, but his coaching philosophy compared to Jimmy Johnson's could not have been more different. Barry wanted to believe that at this level, at this level, that everybody was a man. I don't have a bunch of 18- to 22-year-old boys that I, you know, I have to shape and mold and do things like that. You're, you're men, so I'm going to trust you to do the right thing. Well, we, we had a couple guys that you probably shouldn't give that much trust to. The classic story during that whole time, we're, we're in Cowboys training camp. The night before, Michael Irvin had led a whole group of guys out on the town, and they all came in like at 6 in the morning. And they were all hungover. And you could see it. Everybody was half sick, kind of moping around. And Switzer walks up to Aikman and says, what do you want me to do, cut Michael Irvin? And Aikman looks at him and says, no, you don't cut Michael Irvin, but you cut that guy, that guy, and that guy, and you make everybody run until they throw up in the grass. And Switzer says, well, I'm not going to do that. About 10 minutes in, he blows his whistle and says, boys, you're not really into it today. Let's call it a day. And Aikman was livid. Troy, I'll never forget one time, he said, we need some harder, more physical practices. Now, Barry Wink said, you know, the only one I've ever heard say that's a quarterback. What I found was that the Barry Switzer that I played for at Oklahoma was not the Barry Switzer that I played for with the Dallas Cowboys. At Oklahoma, there was a great deal of pressure on him when I got there in 1984. So I played for a guy that was very intense. I said, Coach, let me ask you. I said, if you look back, when you were 30 years old coaching at Oklahoma, I mean, I bet you worked your tail off. And I bet now he didn't go about it the same way. 
And he agreed. He said, there's no question. I said, well, I'm that 30-year-old guy now. I'm not winding down the years and saying, okay, well, I'm only going to coach another year or two. You know, I didn't even expect to get this job. You know, this is important to me. I think Troy didn't like the way my style versus Jimmy's style. I knew that. That's not going to happen because I'm not, I'm not Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson couldn't coach my way either. Am I happy with my relationship with Aikman? As I've told you before, you know, I don't know where Chuck Noel had a great relationship with Terry Bradshaw or not. It wasn't important. He won four Super Bowls. All right, there you go. There is uh, the mm. strain. And if you go on, that's a great NFL Films episode, too. The whole thing, the dynamic. And Troy goes on to say, Troy Aikman said, goes on to say, when, when Jimmy was there, Jimmy was the heavy. Jimmy was the discipline. And I could be the good guy. He was a bad cop. Yeah. Was, and Jimmy was a bad and cop. And Troy could Troy be the good, the good cop. cop. Yeah. And Troy could lift guys back up and say, hey, hey, Mike, playmaker, it's mm-hmm. all right, man, we'll get this. Yep. But Jimmy brought the discipline so Troy could be the good cop. Barry wouldn't bring it, so Troy had to be turned into bad cop yeah. all the time with In his the teammates. Room, you're right. And it was where it started to disintegrate for the Cowboys. And you know they won that Super Bowl in Barry's first year, but they never won another one. And you would argue that they didn't because you just heard Troy even say it. Troy was 30 years old. He could have won more Super Bowls. But there was never a team built or, or coached well enough around him to win another one. It's interesting that he talked about when he was in college with Barry Switzer, he was hard-nosed. That was Barry in his prime, though. Oh, yeah. I think he got Barry as like in his twilight years, Barry, where Barry was like thinking about the end of his Did Barry coach after that? The no, Cowboys, no, like he no, was no. done. Basically, that was like his kind of retirement plan for the most part. It kind of reminds you of like when he, people always say this about their parents when their parents become grandparents. Oh yeah, yeah, right. It's like I, like you don't even recognize your parents when they become people? grandparents. Like who are these people? Like you're just letting everything go. Cookies for breakfast. <laughs> exactly. Your mom and dad were they were hardcore uh, parents when they raised you about discipline and they were you know mom. yelling at you about uh, every little thing and making sure that you yeah that you basically behaved yourself and that you uh, acted a certain way in public all this kind of stuff. But when they have grandkids, grandkids just run roughshod over the grandparent, do whatever they want to do, and mom, you don't mom, even recognize you'll them. You'll see it, Rod. You'll you, see it. Yeah, you're you, having your first. Oh, I've, I've, I've already seen it. I've seen it. my brother your has brother. kids, so I've seen my parents just become totally different human beings as grandparents, but they deserve that. And I think for Barry, that's what he was doing. He was in the grandparent phase of his coaching well, career. that's a great point, and I think that's what you heard from Barry Switzer. I'm not in the grandparent phase of my career. I'm right in the middle of a Hall of Fame quarterback yeah, career. Yeah, for Troy, that's what he Would you exactly. coach this team, please? Yeah. And that's why he probably should have went a different direction to coach the team rather than the safe choice, which was Barry Switzer. And that then, was a safe choice for Jerry. And then he hired Chan. A comfortable choice. And that's what Jerry, because remember, Jimmy was trying to prove, or Jerry was trying to prove Jimmy wrong. Yeah. So he brought in a guy in Barry Switzer that had a ready-made team, and then it disintegrated. And then he hired a series of coaches who he could boss around. Comfort Chan, hires. Chan Gailey yep. and Dave Campo. Mm-hmm. Dave Campo, really? Yep. And yes, man. And it got so bad that then he had to hire Bill Parcells and turn it back over. Because he had to hire somebody that would actually tell it like it is. Tell and it a like true it football, is. A football man that, knew, that knows the game. And then when he and Bill Parcells got at odds after four years, he went back to Wade Phillips and Jason Garrett, a couple of yes guys that he could boss around. And, you know, here, here we are. This so history the, repeating itself is basically what you're saying. Now what, <laughs> now, what is Mike McCarthy? I don't know. Yeah, and if he let if Bill Parcells and him could have kept it at least got along, the the team was trending the right way. That, well, yeah, they were trending building, the right way. They were building the, it to all yeah. the great players that came in in that era came come in under him. The, the Marcus Ware, Tony Romo, Tony Jason Romo's a Bill Witten, Parcells Tony guy. Tony Romo, yeah, yeah, well, more Sean Payton, but yeah, yeah Bill Sean Parcells. Payton, you're right. Good point. I mean, gosh, all those guys. And then, of course, we went back to Wade Phillips, and things got easier again, and that lasted four years. Then ten years with Jason Garrett. 
ultimate comfort guy. And not that Jason Garrett was a bad coach, but he wasn't a championship level coach. And now what is Mike McCarthy? He Remember Jerry said, I heard bells. I heard bells when I met with Mike. I heard yeah. bells. Mike also lied to him about how much film he was watching. <laughs> yeah. Out the, the barn. But we all lied. Our interviews are we uh, over, you know, we exaggerate at the interview. So I well, guess he was that, doing that too. It's a very good NFL film story. That's the good. Cowboys and the Jimmy Johnson, Barry Switzer, Troy Aikman. It's all about Troy Aikman, I believe. It's the Troy Aikman. Uh, life of football with Troy, but uh, really, really good. All right, let's come back. When we do, we go behind that burnt orange curtain with Rod. Big scrimmage for tomorrow for the Longhorns. It's the last of training camp because uh, as of Saturday, you'll be two weeks to the season. They're thinking about school and game week and all of that. So uh, we'll let Rod preview that behind the burnt orange curtain. Plus, for the end of the hour, we will uh, hit off the record. Aaron Hogan. You just got to keep living, man. Rod Babers. L-I-V-I-N. E and Rod B. On the Horn. Before the top of the hour, we'll hit the uh, off-the-record topics, including tattoos are the new hot party favor at weddings. Did you ever get a tattoo at a wedding? That sounds that sounds crazy. I was very close to getting one last night. Oh, oh my gosh. Also, this man does have a brand, though. Is Rod B. okay with Tyreek Hill saying he sometimes uses the Madden video game to scout opponents? See, I'm telling you, yeah, we just heard <laughs> that Lamar Jackson was suggesting plays and route combinations he saw on social media to his new offensive coordinator. So, yeah, that stuff is happening, man. Somebody said Barry Switzer should have won, too. He lost the first to San Francisco because Barry was an idiot on the sidelines. Oh, yeah. Mm. They could have won. That, that team with Troy Aikman, the triplets, they could have kept winning. If they you had had a hard won. coach who was coaching that team. That's what Troy Aikman was saying. Agreed. Yeah, we, they should have at least one more. At least one more. Yep. At I least agree. one more. And that was right at the beginning of free agency, right? That's when Plan B free agency came into the league, and that's mm-hmm. when they instituted the salary cap. Salary cap was, what, 94, I think, the first salary cap. Yeah, well, yeah. that's because Jerry Jones and the and the were fighting over yeah, Deion 49ers, Sanders. Yeah, it was, yeah. And we knew it was about to be an arms race yep. if they didn't put a cap in it. And the 49ers, I believe, initially get some sanctions because they were oh, yeah. essentially kind of manipulating the salary Haley. cap. They Deion were, yeah, and Charles Haley. <laughs> doing some shady stuff yeah, at that, first. That led to the cap, which then led to free agency, and it uh, started with Plan B free agency. And that's obviously that's when you needed a better general manager than Jerry Jones. Yes. And uh, yep. we know the outcome. People want to know why they haven't been in a Super Bowl or near a Super Bowl since 1995. That's why. And they're getting closer because he has it – t- it's taken him way too long. But he's instituted some checks and balances now. Got Will McClay there. Probably he wanted to draft Johnny Manziel, but he's got Stephen Jones, some other people there who are influential that are telling him, hey, no, nah, man, you ain't drafting Johnny Manziel, man. Zach Martin, it's a boring pick. It ain't splashy. It ain't sexy. It ain't going to make headlines. But that's the pick, Jerry. And Stephen has <laughs> taken over more control, but they still can't get past that divisional round. Maybe this is the year. We'll see. Hey, before we drive behind the burn orange curtain, talk some Texas football real quick. We are at the turn. A new segment we're going to start here because uh, at 8.30, we're at the turn of our five hours, right? And in golf, Rod, you call Ooh. the turn. Well, the, after you played nine like holes, that. you played your outward nine. You're turning to go back home with the inward nine. And uh, so we'll do a little golf right here. BMW Championship, Rory McIlroy, your leader, uh, along with Brian Harmon. How about that leaderboard at the BMW they both played great yesterday, shot 65s. Harmon, of course, your open champion, the, the Claret Jug. He's back. And Rory McIlroy right there as well. Those guys dueled for that Claret Jug not uh, but last month. So they're your leaders, Matt Fitzpatrick, Sahith Thagala, and just a list of guys. Scotty Scheffler as well at four under. So uh, BMW Championship at Olympia Field should be really fun into the weekend. And we'll have a... Uh, We'll have the top 30, Rod, who will move on to the Tour Championship. Only the top 30 players playing this weekend 
because there is no cut with only 50 that teed off. Okay. Uh, they'll play the top 30 in Atlanta, but somebody's going to win this BMW championship. Where's Scheffler? Where's Scheffler? He's four. He's second place. One, there you go. one stroke back. He shot 66 right. yesterday along with Ricky Fowler and Cameron Young and Wyndham Clark. I mean, it's a great leaderboard, and it's a $20 million purse. Say what? 20 mil. Twenty mil for the group, it. and yeah, they break. And they, yeah. how many guys are sharing this? Twenty. Okay, well, still a pretty nice chunk of change. Let's go behind the burnt orange curtain. It's Texas football talk. That was your at the turn. And they were all asking themselves the same question: What is behind that curtain? All right. Uh, of course, the Longhorns will uh, have another scrimmage, a depth chart scrimmage, uh, this weekend and. Coming up next week, of course, we'll give you some details about that. I'm sure we'll be able to piecemeal a lot of the great reports from the scrimmage. But I want to talk about uh, Texas uh, football and Texas offense specifically. And something that I hope Steve Sarkeesian continues um, that I've noticed that's part of his um, like play calling DNA. He likes variety in his personnel groupings. Those know what personnel groupings are. Essentially, personnel groupings are the uh, the combination of different positions you put on the field. And personnel groupings are identified by a numbering system. And the first number represents the running backs, a number of running backs. Second number represents the number of tight ends on the field. And after that, you do the math with the 11. So 11 personnel is one back, one tight end. 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end. You get it. So, So on and so forth. So Steve Sarkeesian, though, what people don't realize, he actually has had a lot of variety in his offense. I think he was forced a little bit to do it because he had the best backfield in all of college football with Bijan and Rojo. So he's looking for the best way to maximize and weaponize that talent to put his best 11 on the field. And part of that was two running backs last year. So you saw him increase the usage of 21 personnel and multi-back sets. And that made the Sarkeesian offense probably more diverse than it's ever been, actually, in his career as a play caller and as a play designer and I was looking at the NFL to try to find some comparisons and I'm always going back to my man Shano with the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan and it also links back to Steve Sarkeesian too because there's a link between those guys from his time in Atlanta when he followed the Kyle Shanahan offense and then and took a lot of uh, concepts and principles from that Shanahan offense uh, upping the pre-snap motion use we talked about that earlier uh, upping the play, play action pass usage the usage of two Two tailback sets and multi-back sets that all came after transitioning that offense from Shannon's to Sarks, and he wanted to study some of the elements that that were that were common, or at least that were commonalities between those two offenses. But I digress. Getting back to the 49ers, last season they were one of six teams last season in the NFL to use at least four different personnel groupings at least five percent of the time. Right? There were only six of these teams, so these are considered the most diverse offenses in the NFL. And the 49ers are one of those offenses. And part of that is because the 49ers were the first team to start. Not the first team. They were one of the first teams to start using a ton of two-back sets. As you know, they use 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end, around 34% of the time. Now that's second most in the NFL behind the Atlanta Falcons, who also love to use two tailback sets. Bijan Robinson, right? Football theory connects all of these, uh, these different football organizations and programs. So we know that. The 49ers, they like personnel variety because they have so many diverse weapons with uh, Christian McCaffrey, with Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Kyle Juszczyk, all these different weapons you can move around the chessboard. So it's about about variety and formation diversity. And also 
in looking at these offenses, there's a stat that I found. They left what they call EPA, which is expected points added. Very deep dive analytical stat. Essentially comparing points you're expected to score compared to points you actually scored or what your season averages are. And what they found is that expected points added per play increase after a team uses an average or deploys an average of at least three different unique personnel groupings per game. Um, And if you increase that usage or deployment to four to five to even six different personnel groupings, the more personnel groupings you deploy, the higher the expected points added per play. So essentially your offense becomes more efficient the more personnel groupings you use. This is what the deep dive analytics say. And why would that be? And I think it's a lot of it. A lot of it is, you know, of course, trying to maximize your talent and personnel and weaponize them in different ways. That's part of it. But I think another part of it is at every level of football, we don't talk about it enough. Because of restrictions, whether you're talking about UIL or you're talking about the NCAA or you're talking about the CBA, all right, the the CBA and the NFL, there's only a certain amount of time that you're allowed to practice as a team. And you only have a certain amount of time to cover all of these concepts or to prepare your team for all these concepts that an offense, a really efficient, really diverse offense are going to present to you. And I go back to this quote from a director of analytics for the Atlanta Falcons, who are one of the most diverse teams in the NFL in terms of formation and and personnel groupings. Uh, They had they played 11, 12, 21, 22, 13 personnel, at least 5 percent of snaps with no group exceeding 35 percent in usage. So they they, they're as diverse of in terms of formations and personal groups as anybody else in the NFL. Here's what their analytics uh, director of analytics said. He said, if defenses prepare for an offense by primarily studying each personnel group separately, the more groups an offense utilizes that a defense prepares for, the quality of preparation will naturally decrease as time is a constraint, which means your defense is going to be less prepared the more they have to prepare for. And Sark already says this too. Sark says, the more that we can do on offense, the harder we are to stop. Essentially, that's what he's saying. He's saying the same thing. I'm just giving you the analytics that backs it up. Now, Sark last year, getting back to the stat, does he use at least four different unique personnel groupings at least 5% of the time? He does. 11 personnel, that's his baby. On third down, he's probably going to be in 11 personnel. That's the, uh, the personnel grouping he trusts the most, one back, one tight end. Uh, around 40% of the time uh, this past season, 50% of the time in 2021. 12 personnel because Sark says one back, two tight ends. Tight ends the most, the second most important position in his offense behind quarterback. So he loves tight ends because he wants to play bully ball. This year, he actually dropped his 12 personnel usage because he supplemented it with six offensive line packages, what they call either Big 12 and the Big 11 package. We got about 15% of that. So that's considered another personnel grouping by itself when you put in a sixth offensive lineman. And then there's a 21 personnel, what they used a lot with Bijan and Rojo. That's two backs, one tight end. You're over 10% of the time with that. And that's not even counting your other multi-back sets. So he's got 11, 12, the six O-line package, and your 21 or multi-back sets. That puts him in the category of these, now this is NFL, so I'm talking, but of the most diverse and uh, the, the offensive with the most variety among personnel groupings in the NFL. Only six of them 
used at least four different personnel groupings at least five percent of the time. Sark's in that kind of category of offensive play callers and designers where he likes variety. And variety, as the stats have shown you, variety helps you become a more efficient and effective offense, mostly because your de- the, the opposing defense can prepare for all the possibilities and scenarios you're going to present. And if they try, they're only going to dilute their own practice time. Yeah. Well, I think that all makes sense. I mean, and this also goes back to one of the reasons I'm bullish on Texas this year more than have been in a long time is the coaching staff continuity and then the addition of weapons. And so when you have the same coaches and the sudden, you know, bringing back a lot of veteran players, you can, you can add install more and you can do more mm-hmm. things that way that the, uh, the defense are going to have a hard time, as you said, with, with time restrictions and NCAA rules and practice limits and things of that nature, it's going to be harder and harder to prepare for. And I think that's why I'm, I'm big on coaching continuity on your staff. When you keep people together, you can, Take one things that you just talked about. They did. They added last year. You can you continue to work on those and add more and mm-hmm. add newer ones. And the more weapons you add, the more personnel groups you can build around those. And that's yep. that's why I think Texas has a chance to be even more dynamic on offense and beat you in a variety of ways. And I like that word variety on offense. And as their defense improves, they believe uh, be a team that can win a Big Twelve championship. I think that's pretty awesome. All right, let's get uh, get ready for off the record. Uh, we've got. Crazy adrenaline junkie white guys in Florida doing crazy adrenaline junkie things. Mm. Tyreek Hill uses Madden to study opponents. Is that fair? (laughs) And uh, the other off-the-record stories that we've got for you coming next here on Ian Rodby. D.D. Megadoodoo. I'm sorry. Mangoodoo. Once it's turned on, the sign will spell out Deli Cat Essen. Well, well, I don't get a break the head comb. Well, congratulations. Continue good sex in, the, good sex in the Big East. Thank you, Jimmy. And boom goes the dynamite. It's time for another edition of Off the Record. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. And thing sucks. All right, welcome back to another edition of Off the Record. Gentlemen, the beef between Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen is about to go to a whole nother level. Nuclear. Yeah. (laughs) To put it mildly. So apparently Michael Jordan's son, Marcus, and uh, Scottie Pippen's ex-wife, Larsa, have been dating for a while. Yep. And it's gone beyond being some kind of tabloid shtick or something like that. Like, they are legitimately dating. I, I actually have seen some clips of her on Real Housewives of Miami. She's, she's a real housewife. And she has been talking about her new boyfriend and that kind of stuff. And Might be the one? Yeah. Like, making up those kind of claims and hints uh, that this thing could, get, could be real. And she's actually even joked about being Larsa Pippen Jordan. She's dropped them jokes like she's not going to drop the Pippin. By the way, she said, I'm not dropping the Pippin. I'm keeping Pippin. She's earned that. She's, I'm an, ex, I'm an ex-wife of Scottie Pippin, so I am a Pippin. But she might go both. We might have a Pippin Jordan. So they're, they're, in they're talking age. wedding plans? Yeah, because the happy couple, uh, apparently, they hit up Jones in West Hollywood for dinner on Wednesday. And as they were leaving the restaurant, Marcus was asked if wedding bells were in their future. And he said, quote, we're looking for a location. Oh no! Yep. Oh yeah. And when so the, obviously Scotty won't be invited to the wedding. Michael will though. Oh, MJ's going. Remember, MJ did say he did not approve of their courtship. Yeah. He has been on the record he, at TMZ. <laughs> uh, they asked him uh, earlier this year that he approve of it, and he, he said he did not approve 
of their courtship. Holy God. But my thing is, MJ had to have either ordered the code red or initially approved this, or behind the scenes, he's, you know, has a different, he's singing a different tune, because I don't know if Marcus would have just, I don't know, been disrespecting the family. Because you know the families, they know each other. Larsa, at one point, I'm sure she knew a teenage, uh, you know, uh, Larsa knew a teenage Marcus. Yes, because they were they were married in 1997. That's what I'm saying. Like, a, when was Marcus born? And we got to go through the timeline and do the numbers here. But there's a good chance Larsa knew a young teenage Marcus. And she certainly knew a younger Michael Jordan and her husband at the time, Scott. Oh, Pippen. they probably went out to double double dates <laughs> and stuff and kicked it. She probably went over and saw the family. Oh, so man. yeah, this is a whole different type of. That's a different level. It'll yeah. make for good Shady. reality TV on the. Uh, oh, what's happening, man? The keep what is it? The Real Housewives. Oh yeah, he's, I think she's on Miami, so he's gonna be on Miami too. I mean, hey, he's no. gonna be on there. He's gonna be a Real Housewives of Miami. I'm Marcus gonna, Jordan. I might actually tune into that episode. See, oh, the rain's about to go through the roof. This is about to uh, go through I, the roof. Can I give you an off the record, Rod? And uh, Ty's got to hear to this because he's a he's a white guy who likes adrenaline things. Uh, organized life-risking activities for recreational purposes. The state of Florida <laughs> last weekend down in the Florida Everglades put it on something called the Python Challenge. Of course, only in Florida. The Python Challenge, Rod. Uh, I don't like it. Turns out Jack Cronin, a Florida teenager, thrill seeker, was participating in it for the very first time. He had caught snakes before but never encountered a python. <laughs> python hunting had long been on his bucket list. And uh, he went to the Everglades National Park for Python Challenge 2023, Mm-mm. and here's him quoted. We go over there, and there's this, this is nighttime, Rod. Nighttime. You doing this at night? Night. Oh, come on. Another bad decision. <laughs> and, and it's with his flashlight. He says, there's a snake's head just sitting there. It's the size of my head. <laughs> I shined the flashlight back through the woods to see the body and couldn't even see the end of it. Then I'm like, I'm course, I'm like, I want to jump on it. <laughs> I want to jump on it. So That's I, your attitude. So what do you do if you want to jump on it? So I jumped on it. Oh, no. I grabbed its head. Then the thing went nuts, turned into a wrestling match. Now, I'm no expert on python hunting, Rod, but I would assume you don't really want to get in a wrestling match with a python. It's a bad decision. It's a dang coaching mistake is what it is. I was like, that's a big snake, he said, Jake Cronin. That was my first python I ever jumped on. I've caught little snakes. This was my first python. Well, okay. let's just say that it ended up good. He won the wrestling match. And he was the tougher animal at that point. Are we serious? At night? Yeah. What? In the Florida Everglades. And I'll show you the picture here if I can get to it. Uh, yeah. That is, uh, man, you're talking about just somebody's got a death wish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, I, mean, I, I on, saw dude. it and I wanted to jump on it, so I jumped on it. <laughs> That's the quote. And I, how long did they say this thing was? 15 feet. 15 feet. And this dude is wrestling with it in the middle of the night. In the ever in the swamp. In the swamp. Look at that thing. In a swamp in the middle of the night. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna have to send this picture out. I'll be holding. Which my one own of these guys challenge. did it? By the way, uh, I don't know which one of those guys is Jack Conklin or Cronin. That's one, two, three, four, five, six people to be able to hold up this snake. Boy, and, and it, they're spaced out. They're not even like tight. They're not even like close together. That's, I'll put this okay. picture out. Uh, by the way, wow. the, somebody did the math, Rod. Marcus. Jordan was six years old when Larsa married Scotty. You may have actually been at the wedding. Oh, <laughs> yeah, man. We know that they Oh, Someone says maybe he was the ring bearer. <laughs> hey, coming up. That would be messed up, man. Oh.
Also on Off the Record, Rod, are you good with this? That uh, Tyreek Hill said when he was preparing to play, because the Dolphins are t- training with the Rock- the uh, Texans this week. Yeah. At joint practice, didn't know much about Derek Stingley and hadn't played him. So he got on Madden to see what his awareness was like, <laughs> see what his uh, Those Madden ratings? Yeah, Madden ratings. <laughs> hey, apparently, Zach Martin, he decided to hold out after you got that 99 on the Madden ratings. That's what he decided. You know what? I'm hey. holding out. He the, said, and he said after then going against him in these joint practices, it's pretty close. Really? Yeah, pretty good. Strength or strengths. You can see some weaknesses. You got to say which one. He's got to have a big year. Stingley's got to have a big year. For, Stingley. For Nick, and, that's a big pick for Casario. It is because Sauce Gardner went Sauce the Gardner's next pick. Sauce Gardner's He was the next pick. All pro as a, as a rookie. Yeah. We'll be back. We have more of this and uh, another Rod's rant. We'll talk Texas in that big scrimmage tomorrow, the final scrimmage of training camp. And, I've got a list of my favorite fantasy football names for 2023, Rod. we got to piece through those as well. Let's do it. See you and Rod B. on a Friday.